It is dawn of the final day of the WGT closest to the whole challenge. 24 hours roughly to get your last scores in to win either the weekly free DNVR shirt or local gift card or the grand prize drawing of abs tickets or a jersey of your choosing if you're out of state. Make sure Everyone gets in on this because you will not have another chance to enter after Friday. And this is it. The grand prize drawing is coming. This week, you want to go to freewgt.com to download the game, then head into the closest to the whole challenge. And we're playing Chambers Bay, the eighth hole of the challenge. It's the one and only putt in the nine holes of the challenge and the one and only putt we've done in this competition. So get in there. Give it your best putt that you got. Try and knock it in the hole. Take a screenshot. Send it into us at info at thednvr.com, and you will be entered in both the weekly and the grand prize drawings. We will announce those probably Monday, but we're closing off the drawing on Friday. So make sure you get them in. Get on this because it really is an awesome prize, especially if you're out of state for that free jersey of your choosing little bit jealous of you guys having the opportunity to win that. I'm not gonna lie. Chambers Bay, hole number eight of the challenge. Let's jump into the show. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer, 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog, collective hugs, 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon. My goodness gracious. <laughs> Welcome into the DNBR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com to reserve products for pickup. And you can use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We are answering your questions today, and we got quite a few to get to, so let's just jump into the first one here. This one comes from our good buddy Luke from Winnipeg, who asks a non-hockey-related question. Just going to get weird with it right off the bat. (laughs) AJ, which relationship do you relate to the most, and which do you love watching? Jake and Amy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Rory and Lorelai from Gilmore Girls, Jessica Day and Nick Miller from New Girl. First of all, I can't stand uh, Jessica and Nick from New Girl. Can't. Okay, that's the only one I've actually watched. So this is off to a great start. Cannot stand them. Uh, and Rory and Lorelai were just so dramatic. Honestly, that there was some. There was just like something was always, always, always going on, uh, and it just seemed like Lorelai was cursed. Um, Jake and Amy, like Brooklyn nine, nine is my, you know, how like 90% of millennials just default to watching either friends, the office or parks and rec when they watch Netflix and they just have a show running in the background. Well, Brooklyn nine, nine is that for me. So, uh, Jake and Amy is obviously, um, going to be right up my alley as they're my, they're, they're like my TV couple that I just like to give the warm embrace to. Uh, they are, uh, they're, they're very cute and the show is great and it's so funny. And given that it's like a police show, like a cop show, I'm shocked. I like it as much as I do because those are normally just not enjoyable, but it's, it's very not in the mold of a cop show, though. which is why it's so tolerable. And like, it's so watchable because every time I rewatch it, I see something silly that I didn't notice before. And like, I'm in the middle of going through it again right now. Like I was on like season three last night, um, just going through episodes. I just have it on in the background while I do other stuff. And 
so Jake and Amy's definitely uh and and my personal relationship with my fiance were both uh you know the way that Jake and Amy are like like cop dorks um my fiance and I, fiance and I are like that we're like big hockey dorks we uh like this like we we wake up in the morning and like oh what's the first thing we talked about today we talked about Eric Comrie getting reclaimed by Winnipeg and like the path that he has gone on uh in that organization and you know so definitely Jake and Amy um is the one that I relate to with my own uh, relationship for sure. I would like to defend Nick and Jessica Ugh. before they get together in the show, because you can track the trajectory of when that show got terrible is <laughs> when they got together. It was just yeah. all downhill from there. And that's the challenge for a lot of shows, man, is that there's an obvious romance. And then they, you like the office tried to keep Jim and Pam apart for as long as they could. Because people knew as soon as they got together, the interest would go down. And I thought The Office did a great job. I actually really liked when they got together and the way that that show evolved and it being not good ended up having to do with other characters that were not them. But I, I think that's a fair criticism of the the journey was the destination for for a new girl. And I think Schmitty and Cece is underrated. I think that might have been the better conversation of of the love story in that show, but okay, I was not much of a new girl fan, so it was understandable. He he picked he picked like the one where I'm just like, Meh. see that's that works out for me because that's the one that I'm like, oh, I actually watched that. <laughs> <laughs> my my references to Gilmore Girls consist of what my wife watched of it. And, oh, yeah, I like Sin City, so I kind of know who that person is. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, it was just not, not my jam. I tried, I tried because I, I tried with a lot of shows, um, that I've sit down and, and have adopted, but just couldn't do it with that one for very long. I, it, it felt kind of forced to me. Like when they do the scenes where they talk real fast back and forth to each other, like it felt like they were trying too hard. Yeah. I, yeah, I was just, they tried to capitalize on her popularity, uh, coming off that, the heater that she was on making movies and such. And I think they, the, the whole, whatever, whatever they call it, the, 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 that, archetype of character that she has uh, was really popular for a few years and it drove me crazy. All right. Well, maybe you've redeemed a little bit in my eyes and your television watching then. Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of trash dude and there's no, there's <laughs> I no, mean, so do I, I watched a lot of bad TV. <laughs> there's no getting around any of that, man. Like there's, I'm not even going to try and deny it, but I've, I feel like I've also watched some pretty good ones along the way. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's answer an Av's question now. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fire Medic Andy asks, how do the last few weeks of injuries give the Avs an edge in the playoffs five months from now if they stay healthy enough? And does all these injuries happening so early in the season have the same impact as if they happened in February or March? first part, I don't know that it gives them much of an advantage. Like, I guess you could argue that there's less tread on the tire for this season, you know, cause the, Hey, Rantanen and Landy missed like 16 games or something. So that's 16 games of wear and tear that did not add up on their, bo their body when they're, um, when they get to the postseason. but they were injured. So it's not like they were just chilling. So there was all there was inherent wear and tear there. So I'm not sure that it honestly does give them much of an advantage. Uh, and as for the second part of it, I don't know that it really makes any kind of a difference when they happen. As long as you weather the storm as a team, it's fine. And hopefully the Avs have already weathered that storm and this yeah. doesn't continue for eternity. <laughs> I The one thing that I didn't understand um, a lot of Avs fans saying about the injury problems was, oh, I, well... Uh, I would rather have them early than late. And like, I think I get the general gist of it where like, you don't want to get into the end of March 
with four games left in the season and lose five guys for three weeks. As you go, <clears throat> as you go into the playoffs, I don't, I get that. Like you don't want that, right? But there's nothing that says that just because they had injuries early, that that still won't happen. And as we know, if, when you get hurt one time, it increases your chances of getting hurt a second time. So, yeah, I will say the one thing that you do get out of getting hurt early, and the, really, I think this applies more to the defense than the than the offense. They've gotten Rosen into games now, right? They gotten Barbario into games. They have a bit more of a, a jumping off point for if they do go down a defenseman, they know what they're going to get out of these next tier of guys. Yeah. So I think I, I do think that that has helped. And I mean, the defense, especially given like the, the wear and tear that they, they add up, like at some point, Ian Cole's going to get hurt. You know, it's gonna happen, yeah. Playing, you know, Ryan Graves gonna miss a week. Just playing an ultra physical style like that, uh, where that's how they're effective defensively. I, it's just gonna happen. The game, the game's too. It's too fast. It's too physical for for them to just completely avoid it forever. So, um, I do think that there's no need for Ian Cole in the like, come postseason to be sitting around if he needs double hip surgery in the off season. You might you might be able to get away with just being like, "Hey, we you don't need to put yourself through this, right?" Just a bit more understanding of what you have as far as an organization is concerned. That gets us into the whole topic of they should really be playing Connor Timmons, but we don't have to get into that. But they did get a look at Rosen, and they do have a better understanding of their defensive hierarchy moving forward. One hundred percent true. So. Kind of a good deal there, and the hope is that the Avs have paid the Piper already. So, time to tell you about Piper Electric, as they have been serving the Denver metro area since 1983. Through commitment to customer service and team performance, Piper Electric is the hometown electrical contractor you can trust. If you call 303-646-6765, they'll give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. No job is too big or too small for Piper Electric. They work with the top professionalism and integrity in the biz, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. Don't forget, you have to call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm Rudo. He's AJ. You guys bring the questions. This one comes from No More Rats. I'm not going to read all of it because it's kind of long-winded, but in general, he's asking, at the end of last season, when the Avs were fighting for a playoff spot, Bednar talked about a mindset of winning games one to nothing. Is that something they need to go back to, or what do they need to do? Do they need to consciously play a different game when they play against teams like St. Louis that they seem to struggle with? No, I think I think the St. Louis stuff, um, we've probably overblown a little bit. Because if you look at last year, they had the exact same problem against St. Louis. Uh, Their St. Louis problem applied last year to San Jose as well. And that was about as even a series as you can get. The the reality is is that sometimes they're both good teams. And if you play enough times and you play in in a dedicated seven-game series and not randomly throughout the season... You're going to game plan for each other in ways that you don't during the regular season. You're going you're going to hone in on weaknesses. And that's something that we have seen the Avalanche coaching staff do a very good job of two years in a row in the postseason where they were way more competitive with the Predators than they belonged, than they deserved to be in that first year. Uh, and then smoked Calgary. And we saw what happened. They, I mean, a one goal game in game seven in the second round. That's as even as the series gets. And they were arguably the least talented team in every one of those series. Probably uh, the Calgary series, you could make the argument that matchup wise, it was just a good fit for them um, because of the star players and the advantages that they had. But in terms of top to bottom talent, 
probably the least talented uh, team in all three of those series and very competitive in the two they lost and dominated in the other one. So um, I, I give a lot of credit to the Avalanche coaching staff and and have a lot of trust in them in, in the postseason, just given what they've done two years in a row. Uh, and I, I, I think that if they were to get the Blues in the playoffs, it would be a different story than it has been in the regular season where you don't make very many major adjustments. You kind of do your thing. Yeah, I, it's much more of a chess match in the playoffs, right? Because right. we are going to get that second game against them, that third game against them, and your yeah. sole focus is digging into every single little thing that that opponent does. Every tendency. And we saw we saw how hard San Jose worked trying to shut down what the Avs did well in that series. And there were some games where they were really effective at it, and there were other games where the Avs broke through just enough to – uh, to to win three of the games and yep. lost by one in the other one in game seven. So, you know, I think, I think with St. Louis, it, it would be the same thing. I don't think either team would beat the other one up. I don't think it would be a five game series. I think it would be really, really, uh, I, I think it would be really close. And I think it would just be a battle of, you know, if, which team the, Whoever won that series, it would it would just be, of course, like this is going to be Captain Obvious, but which team was able to get the most out of its style, the mo the the most right? Who way. can impose their will on the game more? Right. Well, and and even if even if St. Louis imposes their will all game, uh, and the Avs are able to find three cracks in the in the in the. Uh, I don't know, in the foundation, whatever, cra- whatever cracks they're slipping into. I don't know. Uh, and and they get their three goals. You know, if you get three goals in the postseason, you you better believe you're expecting to win. Yeah. So uh, that's, you know, that's that's all. That's all it's got to be like. It's <laughs> you just have to capitalize on the opportunities that you create and you better believe that they'll create some. It's too talented of a team. Not to have some. I mean, even you even look at uh, the the St. Louis game this week. They had plenty of opportunities in that game. Um, yes, they did. I mean, they had a, they had a they had a clean breakaway. They didn't even get a shot on goal. There was a good twenty minutes where they they played their style and got plenty of opportunities. <clears throat> yeah, and there and there was also a period where St. Louis kind of smothered them to death. So, well, and that's that's what I mean. We would see that on a larger scale. That's exactly right. what it would look like. It would just be instead of it being like, oh, well, in period one, this happened. Period two, it would be like game one was defined by their style. Game yeah. two was their style, and the San Jose series is a perfect look at exactly how that works out in the postseason. You can't you can't go out and build your team around one opponent because as soon as you do that, the advantages that you've built up over somebody else are going to disappear. Yep. So you just have to build to the best of your ability to your best of your style and let the chips fall where they may, you know, that speaking of blues and abs, I mean, the blues built an unbelievably talented team back in 2001 that just ran into the abs buzz buzzsaw. Ran into a whole cadre of Hall of Famers, and there's nothing that they could have done about that. There wasn't anybody that they could have gone out and gotten and traded for and done any of this or that that would have that would have fixed that. You know, so you got to keep in mind like this Blues obsession that is developing among the Avs fan base, and obviously that's recency bias, but it will be. I, I think that this is going to be something that we talk about a lot over the year. Is okay, that's great, but how do we beat the Blues? Um, you can't be obsessed that much with one opponent. It's easy to say, oh, all roads lead through St. Louis for this or that, or we don't even know if that's true. You yeah. Know? Like let's, we've, we let's don't even expand know. on that a little bit because some people were also asking about what would the best and worst matchups in the playoffs be for the Avs right now. If the playoffs should just start today, they would face the jets. So, You'll feel real good about that. Yeah, I think you got to really like this team against 
a lot of team. I think the Jets, I would like them against. The Oilers, I would think would be, I think the Avs would be the better team over a seven-game series. Um, Dallas and Calgary are holding the wild card spots right now. Certainly would feel good against Calgary. Dallas might be an interesting one. I think Vegas would be a wild series. Um, Arizona, hmm, I don't know about that one. You'd have to think about it, especially now that they have Hall. I think Arizona would be St. Louis light. Yeah. <clears throat> I I don't think the Avs want any part of that if they can avoid it for right now. Um, look, Arizona made their move. Like, the Coyotes aren't going big at the deadline. They yeah. did what they're going to do. And the advantage for them is that they get Taylor Hall for half a season. A little over half a season. Uh the advantage for everyone else is they get there are what 30 games between now and the trade deadline for them to look at what the Taylor Hall Coyotes look like and say, all right, well, how do we beat them? What do we need? Yep. And is there something that we can do to address this? And for the central teams, you don't really worry about it that much because if you're playing the Coyotes, the the, the chances are if you're a St. Louis or a Colorado or a Winnipeg, the the chances are that you're in the Western Conference Finals. And at that point, you're already obviously very, very damn good. <laughs> yeah. You've so, found something that's successful. At yeah, that point, I, I think that Calgary uh, in the playoffs, it's hard not to feel like they if they ran that back, you'd have to feel pretty good about that. Even with what happened in Denver last week, I mean, the injuries and everything that, you know, if if both teams are healthy, you have to feel like Calgary is not loving that idea of doing that again. Um, I would like the abs against the Jets. I think it would be a fascinating series against the Stars. Um, Definitely a bit of a butting of heads of philosophies for yeah, sure. I I think I think the abs in Vegas would be a fantastic series. I and I like Colorado's chances in that one with this version of Vegas. Because this version of Vegas has taken nights off. Yeah. <clears throat> they have allowed themselves to get punched in the face a few times. And uh, defensively, I don't think that they could handle Colorado's team speed. That's true. Their defense is... We'll see what they do there at the deadline. Put it that way. But we're like 33 games in and talking about playoff matchups. And let me just say, and I don't, I don't think it's premature. I just think it's fun. It's a different it's a different take on the season because it feels very much like this team is rolling downhill towards a playoff spot. If the Avs get an overtime loss tonight, they will have equaled their 16-17 point total. I thought about it last night after they won and I was going to bring that up tonight if they if they uh surpass that total or tie that total and it was just like well <laughs> just a good reminder of what a mess that year was. Truly brutal in every sense of the word. Okay. First, I need to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery because they're awesome. And it's a little early to be drinking one right now. I'm not going to lie. I don't have one in my hands. But if I did, it would be a Colorado Core, which is their fresh semi-sweet apple ale. It's half cider, half beer, essentially. And to me, it tastes delicious, just like most of their beers. I just cannot get enough of their products, top to bottom. Last night, I had a bunch of avalanches and some Christmas ale at the watch party, which was awesome. So, basically, Breckenridge Brewery is the original Colorado beer established here in 1990. And if you haven't tried any yet, you got to try. Go to your local liquor store or Davidson's or... They have it everywhere now, probably at your local gas station, since that's a thing you can do in Colorado now, and go get beer, find some Breck beer, try it for yourself, and I bet money that if you find the right one, you will enjoy it. Get out there, check it out, or come to the next tailgate for the next Broncos game for DNVR. They will have some free Breck brew for you to try as well. Sticking in this period, we're not going to wrap it up just yet. Got a handful of questions here from no one in particular on Twitter. Firstly, AJ, turkey or ham? Um, I would probably would say ham, but I 
in what form I think also matters. But uh, in I mean, general, I'm, I think it's ham. I'm 100% turkey on this one. Turkey okay. over ham every single time for me. It's not close. And like any kind of sweet honey baked or whatever ham is like bottom of the totem pole of everything for me. I've never been a sweet meat person. It's just not for me. It's got to be done well because otherwise it ends up being way too sweet. And it's like, wow, this is these are competing ideals. Even if it's done well, I, it just you just don't like it. It's just does not taste good to me in any way. Yeah. Like I for me, like I like a, like a Thanksgiving turkey is just not really for me. But like like a sliced turkey for like a sandwich, like a thin sliced turkey, like that's fine. Yeah, I don't like I don't have a strong feeling either way. Turkey versus ham in that one. But I would take like just like a. A, a cut of like honey baked ham over just like a, Oh, there's a Turkey and you just lop some of it off. Like, no, nah. <laughs> definitely would take the whole Turkey if it were me, but we also have waffles versus pancakes versus French toast. All right, well, obviously I'm going with pancakes. Yeah. But, we all saw that coming, but every time I pick pancakes, people get a, people get like uppy about it. And it's like, I just would like to also add, I also love waffles and French toast. Breakfast food in general is amazing. That's my wheelhouse. So I'm I'm picking waffle. I will go pancakes, waffles, French toast in that order. But you could give me any order, and I would say that's cool. I respect that. Cool, because I would go the exact opposite order. Oh, my gosh. Okay. French toast, waffles, pancakes. I, and I, what kind of – see, like, with waffles, though, I think it's – there's like an ego, right? Which is like solid. I have egos in the freezer. They're great. But like a Belgian waffle is so good. I don't I really like waffles, but it just doesn't matter to me because with waffles, I they're just smothered in syrup. Like it could be an ego or it could be like the most pristine waffle ever and I've drowned it in syrup and it's just good. Oh, see, I don't have I don't have any syrup in the house. Uh I just use butter. Okay, so you're a bit more of a purist there, maybe. Yeah, I'm the same guy whose favorite pizza is cheese. <laughs> so there, yeah. I'm. I, I wouldn't say purist so much as as I'm just kind of a basic <laughs> bitch. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I mean, hey, if it's basic and you like it, I mean, power to you. Yeah, save you money. That's the thing, man. Is like I'm. No longer, I no longer feel shame in the things that I like. These are the things that bring me joy, and there is no reason uh, for me to 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 feel sad about that. I like, I don't, I don't like beer that much, but I like fruity drinks. So you give me a fruity beer like the Strawberry Sky, and I'm all over it. There you go. He's JD ordering apple teenies at the bar. Pretty much. Yeah, that bums me out that I would be relatable to JD in any way. <laughs> that bums me out. That was a deep cut, sir. Wow. Wow. Being like JD ain't so bad. I mean, he's not the, he's not the worst role model. Not the best, but... Yeah. Let's move on to something I know you like. Cyclops or Wolverine? Um. First of all, F Cyclops. I can't stand Cyclops. That goody two-shoe psychotic. No, I'm good. I, I'm good on Cyclops forever. Wolverine is awesome. Um, I understand why there might be some Wolverine fatigue. Uh, but uh, no, no, a hard no on Cyclops. With the caveat that in the X-Men Legends games, he is very fun to play. Okay, I, I'm i a very casual X-Men fan, so it's the easy Wolverine choice for a casual like me. Well, and like Wolverine is an interesting character. There's a lot of complexity there. He's an anti-hero, but he's got, he's got a good heart. He tries to do right. He's just a tortured soul who's had a lot of terrible things happen to him, in part because, you know, Sabretooth has done a lot of terrible things to him. <laughs> and, you know, he tries to find himself on the right side of things, but he also isn't afraid to to cross the line to get things done. 
but he's not like Punisher where he just lives on the other side of the line and only worries about the end game and doesn't care at all about collateral damage. Uh, and Wolverine does. And I think that's what makes him such an interesting character. And the same things apply to Gambit, who's my real favorite of these characters. Um, I was, I was literally just watching the, uh, X-Men animated series two days ago because I needed my fill of some Gambit storylines. All right. My favorite character is Nightcrawler because I can turn abs clips into them disappearing. So well, that's and all I got. Awesome, man. <laughs> Super fun to play in games. Really cool powers. Interesting backstory. Just a cool character. Nightcrawler is a totally acceptable answer. Uh, all right. One, one last part to this one. What can we do to ban oatmeal? <sighs> right after I got done saying I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of <laughs> the things that I like, I will shame folks for liking oatmeal because that's just nasty. My wife has started eating it and I just don't get it. At I all. I can't look at oatmeal without seeing like a bowl full of maggots. It's it's like you wanted cereal, but you just let it soak in milk and get so soggy that it like absorbed all the milk, and you're just left with these soggy pieces of cereal, and it's the worst. Uh, and it's- yeah, I um, I just I don't see anything positive about oatmeal at all. I've never had a positive experience with oatmeal same it's just gross glad we agree on the things that matter yeah disgusting dude (laughs) um all right we'll end the second period there with our hate for oatmeal together so instead of oatmeal if you're looking for something that might be a little bit more enjoyable check out mile high green cross Mile High Green Cross offers an experience that you won't forget. They have award-winning products. You can check out this year's Cannabis Cup winning products when you head to their website. Mile High Green Cross offers a variety of CBD products, from edibles to concentrates to cartridges. They pride themselves on their customer service, and it shows. Every single time you pop in, you'll get one-on-one attention with one of their seasoned sales associates, and they have great deals on 90 pre-pack ounces and V3 hash oil bulk deals five cartridges for $100 they have out the door pricing what they advertise is what you pay and if you have no cash that's no problem either because they now accept hyper and even better is they are fast on average from time you walk in to time you walk out is just nine minutes so you can just pop in get what you need pop out and go about your day they're convenient Conveniently located on 9th and Broadway, so that's just easy to swing by, and they have parking in the back. So when you roll on by, let them know DNVR sent you. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast, presented by The Green Solution. I'm still Rudo. He's still AJ. There are questions that are still on everyone's mind, and we do need to get to them. Franz Rupp asks, now that Hall is off the table... Who are some people that the abs should be targeting as we approach the trade deadline? I mean, we talked about this a little bit last night, right? We did. Detroit, um, cough, cough. <clears throat> right. Detroit, um, hell, even with New Jersey. I've had some people in my mentions suggesting that the abs need to go get Wayne Simmons so that they won't be scared of playing the Blues. That's going to be a no for me, dog. Same. But, like... I think I think that's probably where people another another player with sandpaper, another player that brings toughness is is kind of where I think most people's minds are at. Me, just go get a good player, um, get a bona fide top six guy. Yeah, yeah I mean uh, you'd love to have Anthony Mantha, uh, but I I and I've mentioned this name a million times just because he's the archetype that I think they should be after. Uh, but a guy like Kyle Kyle Palmer, Paul Mary is fine too. Um, you know, if Anaheim wanted to loosen up and and understand that it's bad now, if you could pry either Silverberg or Raquel out of there, those guys would be very interesting. Um, you know, Chris Kreider is going to get a lot of talk. Uh, Tyler Toffoli is going to get a lot of talk just because they're upcoming UFAs. I mentioned Josh Anderson out of Columbus because he's having a disaster of a season. 
Sure um, is. And we know we know that he's a lot better than that. Um and Anderson might be a lower ceiling guy than I'd be after, but and is an interesting guy in that he brings a real physical presence and he has a uh, real finishing ability to, to go with that. So I think that on the sandpaper side, if that's something you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Those guys are that's, I think that's a solid list of guys to work from. Man, Raquel would be super interesting if he was available. Yeah, I mean, even with the even with the the uh, new contract, like Silverberg would be fine too. Yeah, he was a guy that I thought if they got to if he got to UFA last year and not signed the extension that he did, then um, the Avs I thought might have made a play for him. Now, obviously, he's already 29 years old and he signed for four more years after this one at 5 million take him through 34 basically right and you're taking that chance there whereas Raquel is 26 and he signed for two more years after this one yeah uh, at a super cheap price like you're you're really liking that but uh, I think that the Raquel costs would would be significantly higher than Silverberg I'm sure they would, yeah. And I think you could probably get Silverberg out of there without having to touch the top three of the prospects. I don't think that would be the case with Raquel. I think if you wanted Raquel, you'd probably have to give up Timmons. Yeah, I mean, that's a conversation we can have if that ever becomes a serious thing, maybe. (laughs) For sure. And, like, this is me 100%. Like, this is not me saying I've heard that these guys are available. This is me saying, look, Anaheim isn't very good. Uh, they've got a ton of young forwards that are coming up and need playing time. Guys like Comtois, Steele, Jones, Lundestrom, uh, and Kasha. These these are all younger guys that need playing time, and it makes sense for it would make sense for the Ducks who it's obviously not working for them in their current iteration for them to look to uh, sell some guys off. Uh, now, if they really wanted to. Uh, get a, get a little crazy. I would very much be open to the Hampus Lindholm conversation. I was going to say a lot of people asking about the abs, adding a potential D that would be a guy that would make a lot of sense. Cause he's 25. He signed for two more years uh, and he's outstanding. He's so good and he fits in timeline. Everything would be perfect. Uh, you're definitely not getting that guy though, without giving up. Uh, Timmons, maybe even new hook on top of that. Like right. that would be that would be a that would be very expensive. I mean, if you're going out and getting a D, the the conversation starts with you're giving up Timmons, basically. One hundred percent, and and you're not talking Bowen Byram, not even a little. Right, bit. that's right. There isn't there there really isn't a player that would realistically come available, and I I certainly don't think Lindholm would realistically come available. Just to put that out there. Um, but there isn't one that would realistically come available in which Byram will be part of the conversation. There's no way that they're going to touch that. Seth Jones, one for one. Like I said, realistically. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you that I think it will be very difficult for the abs to find a trade partner that wants to give them a D for a stomachable price. Mm-hmm. So... And I mean, the Avs healthy 60 top five in the league, top 10, certainly. Uh, I, without a doubt, believe it to be top 10. Um, yeah. With Makar healthy, I mean, and and the depth pushed down, everybody, everybody playing up to their abilities. Like we've seen Cole and Zadorov and Graves all really do a good job of, of cutting down on the penalties. I think that um, top 10 is certainly fair. I don't know about top five. I, I wouldn't, I'd have to sit down and try and go through a lot of stuff to figure out top five, a pod for another day. Certainly. Yeah, that would be, that would be a, a tougher uh, answer for me, but definitely think that it's a top 10 defense. And I don't think that the need for a defenseman is really there. Honestly, I, I think that, Avs fans have spent so much time understanding that the defense is bad that they look at a guy that like, 
Like last night, Mark Barbario made one mistake, and it was Mark Barbario needs to not play anymore. And it's like, this happens. Like, guys aren't perfect. Guys are going to make mistakes. You know, and and it just, you just can't build a roster with that kind of knee-jerk reaction. Um, you know, Barb's, Barb's makes those mistakes most of the time when he plays, but he doesn't make lots of them. You know, like the... He's a seventh D. That's what you expect, you know, and there are going to be guys who have strengths and weaknesses where anytime, anytime the weakness involves the puck, it's very obvious. It's a very obvious thing that is a problem. Uh, And so I think it's easier to pick that out because there are so many things that go into defense that it's hard to evaluate defensemen. It's hard for NHL teams to evaluate defensemen. That's why there are NHL teams out there that think Cody CC is good. So you know, it's it's hard it's it's hard to do, but I just think that Avs fans have spent so much time believing that the the defense is bad that now that the defense is solid, it's still just like a, oh one more defenseman, just one more good one, and they're over the top. But that was also one of the reasons why you don't put top prospects in a trade for a guy like Taylor Hall, is because you have Timmons and you have Byram coming. You're going to have a top homegrown-ish defense with Timmons and McCarr and Byram and Gerard and you know, like these guys are all gonna come up and you just don't need to that that's for as much as like, oh, the Evs don't need Taylor Hall. The Evs really don't need to spend the assets to go out and get a top four D. They right. really don't. If it would be the only reason in my mind to go out and get a top 4D is if you're going all the way all in on this season. Right. Because then you say, well, Timmons and Byram aren't going to really be ready. Could make a debate with Timmons there, but to be in the top four, probably not ready. And you say, if this defenseman wins us a cup, then maybe you consider it. But And like, which which top defenseman is going to be available that team's fine with parting with? Yeah, I don't see it. You know, like, you go back you go back and say, okay, well, let's look at the bad teams again. You know, P.K. Subban hasn't been good. Drew Doughty hasn't been good. Those guys are also on extremely expensive contracts and in their 30s now. So, you know, I, I floated the idea, um, not really, uh, but talking to my fiancé about... Dustin Bufflin's situation and like if he wants to come back if he got healthy at the end of this year I we were I was just we were just talking about like what his trade value would be and I told you hockey dorks and uh you know I mentioned I mentioned the abs and like oh it would they would have to be for a guy like Zadorov you know a younger player that they could that they could build around but even then you know, like, why would a team like that want to move him? You know, talking about the Ducks, they're bad, but Hampus Lindholm's only 25. Why would you want to move that guy? You know, you want that guy. That's one of the guys that you're, you you hope if you move him, you just hope that you get somebody as good as him eventually. And that's just not a great way of do, doing business. So I don't, I don't really think that they're going to be top D that are going to be out there that the Avs could use. That they that they need, they could obviously use. Like it'd be great if you had an all star team on defense, but it's not going to happen. It's too expensive. You don't you don't have the money, the assets, all of that. And we've seen dominant dominant defensive cores are not the ones that have won the Stanley Cup. You've got to do it with high end forwards, and you've got to have you've got to have good defenders. But, like, the Penguins have won multiple cups with Chris Letang as their best guy. Alec Martinez has a Stanley Cup winning goal. And he's a solid defenseman, but yeah. he's not making any all-star teams. Right. And, like, but, but like, that, see, that, that those Kings teams, a great example, though. They had Doughty. They had Muzzin. They had a really good top pairing. And then they had solid guys behind them. Right. And that was great. That was That was what they needed. That's a good allocation of money. You look at the teams, you look at Nashville as a great example. You look at Minnesota as a great example. Teams where their best players were their defensemen did not win cups. Straight Have up. not won cups. And what did what did uh, Nashville do in an attempt to try and even out their roster? They they straight up swapped a defenseman for a center. Just Subban for Duchesne, just cut and paste. Pretty much. So... 
you kind of just got to work with what you have and, and build where you can. Um, yeah, man, uh, it's the abs. The abs, I think, are fine, especially with the emergence of Makar, with Gerard as he is, uh, with EJ, with Cole, uh, this version of Zadorov, Ryan Graves. I mean, they're fine. They really are. And they're going to be better than that in the next couple of years. So I really I don't feel like there's any temptation for me uh, to go out and get one of these top D. Now, if EJ if EJ goes down for the year and there's a rental out there to be had for a reasonable price, I could have that conversation. That's a different conversation. But without knowing that ahead of time, um, I don't think that there's really a strong need for it. Yeah. I'm, they should I'm definitely be in the market for uh, another impact forward. Top over. six wing, please. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. One Seriously, one more top six forward uh, would could – be transformational um, for, for these guys. Just really just solidify it so that these guys are all playing proper roles. They all get knocked down into into roles in which they excel. Yep. When Burakovsky goes cold for a couple games, that's fine because this yep. guy can step up. Definitely. Uh, moving away from the abs for a second, Jake asks, which bad team in the NHL is most likely to turn their season around at this point? a la the St. Louis Blues last year. Um, Bad team. I wonder where the line is on yeah, that. Yeah, does Nashville count? Um, yeah, you know, that's... Like, right now, San Jose is 25th in the NHL. That might be an easy one where if they can just get league average goaltending... They gotta count. They're below five hundred. I think they count for sure. I well, then I would I would definitely say San Jose uh, is in the conversation. Um, I don't think any of Chicago, Ottawa, New Jersey, or Detroit are going to get much better. No, I think that's just a bunch of ugly for sure. <laughs> Anaheim really like John Gibson's just been okay this year, and that's where I thought that they would have an advantage. Um, is if John Gibson was John like vintage John Gibson, then I think that Anaheim would be more competitive. Um, I really uh, teams like the Blues pulling it out from the bottom of the league don't happen very right. often. There's, there's a reason that that was such an anomaly and such a story that people, you know, people that want to use that as like, oh, well, look what it's the same thing going on with Val Nachushkin right now. Like that deal worked out. So now every other flyer, like when we talked about Ilya Kovalchuk on Twitter yesterday, two days ago, when we just floated, I just asked the question, how would you guys feel about it? There were the, the people who said yes, almost universally pointed to Nachushkin and said, well, that look at that. It's the same situation as that. What's the problem? What's the harm in that? There's no downside to it. And I mean, the downside is yes, but. the downside is is that the dude comes in and he's bad and he wastes a ton of your time and you blow money on it and you know who yeah. who know who knows if that ends up being good or bad you know I I I don't have a strong feeling on the Kobe thing either way uh, I don't know if he's any good anymore and that's my concern but I don't I mean how quickly. We forget the Marco Danos, the Nail Yakupovs, <laughs> right? Well, and Brandon Gormleys, and yeah, the list you know, goes the, on and on and Eric Jelena, like the the list of failed reclamation projects in Colorado is about ten times longer than guys who worked out. Yep, but because Nachushkin has had a good month, everybody is feeling like they got this. You know, like oh. Well, if the Avs decide to do it, then it must be a good idea. And that's hard to argue with right now. They've done, they've been on such a heater with their pro scouting decisions that it's like, look, I'm, I will defer. So if Sackick thinks it's smart right now, it might just be smart. Right. Exactly. Like if, if that front office comes to the agreement of this is a good idea, then great. All right. Well, gotta love the optimism. Uh, one more question just to wrap up the show with 
getting back to the abs and something relevant to recent. Yeah. Mary asks, was the abs PK actually good against the Hawks or is the Hawks power play just bad? It's bad. All right. And it was still dangerous. They, they, they had a wide open net. The uh, had just flubbed it. So, Fair. you know, that they allowed that Royal road pass again. And Francois was not in any kind of position to get to it. Uh, it just, they just didn't execute. They created the, the, the scoring opportunity that you wait for and they just didn't get done. So I think that's more on Chicago than anything. The abs did the abs, the abs allowed the kind of scoring chance you build a PK around preventing. And I don't understand why that Royal road continues to be so wide open for them. Just shoot from up top. Let them let teams let teams do what your power play tries to do, where you try and shoot from the point all the time and you don't succeed. Like, it's just not a high percentage shot. Play the percentages, play the numbers. Don't let the the two best offensive players are usually on the wings. Uh, Don't let those guys pass to each other and and set each other up for one timers and force it to go through the blue line. I that that I, I guess that's the only way I would try and tweak the PK. Uh, and we saw last night it didn't do that. It didn't get the job done. And if they take penalties against Carolina uh, tonight, I don't have faith that Svechnikov and Ajo aren't just going to pick them apart. All right. Well, AJ for special teams coach 2020. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, that's all I got, unless you got some final thoughts, AJ. Uh, No, I'm good. Cool. So hope you guys enjoyed the question show as always ask us on DNVR. If you are a member, if you are subscribed to us, ask on the podcast. Yeah. The podcast posts, we will do our best to answer questions asked there first because you guys help support us. The podcast is free, but all of our other content, what allows us to make these podcasts is members that are subscribed So please ask your questions there. We will do our best to answer as many as we can. That's it for this one. Thank you for listening as always, and you will hear from us live tomorrow.